This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for being here today. I hope you are having a really great summer. Today, my guest on the podcast is Kara Winger. Kara is a four-time Olympian. She's a world championship silver medalist, a former American record holder, a Diamond League champion, and she's done all this throwing the javelin. I love talking to some field athletes. If you all were watching the world championships last summer when she won her first global medal, it was so inspiring and cool. And oh my gosh, of course we talk about it in this episode. I'm not going to ramble anymore because she tells the best story. She is retired now from javelin throwing and she works for Parity Now, whose mission is to change the game for women athletes through powerfully inclusive and equitable brand partnerships. We're going to hear all about that in the episode as well. Kara uh, is also a Purdue grad, and although I'm an IU grad, I did have some special feelings about that because y'all know how much I love Indiana, so we talk about that as well, and uh, I know you're going to love getting to know Kara just like I did. If you do love the podcast, leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, that is super helpful and potential new listeners to find the show, and hey, if you are looking for a way to carry your phone on the go you need to get yourself a koala clip. This is the easiest way to carry your phone on the go. It is water resistant, stays in place. You just clip it into the back of your Razorback sports bra. And uh, this is a small woman owned business. I love Christina and everything she's doing. She also makes amazing sports bras and apparel. The Wren sports bra is my favorite. I wear it every time it's clean. And you all can support this small business and also get yourself some amazing gear when you go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER. That will get you 10% off your order. All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Kara Winger. All right. Well, today on the podcast, I'm super excited to have Kara Winger on the show. Welcome to the show, Kara. Thank you, Lindsay. So happy to be here. Um, all right, javelin thrower. Before our conversation started here, I was going through some of the field athletes I've had on the show before, but you are the first javelin thrower. So welcome and thank you. Thank you. Um, i ha- always happy to represent the event that I love. Um, and like I said to you off air, a big fan of the people you've had on from the field side of things before. Awesome. Um, So I first heard of Javelin. I remember my high school best friend's brother through Javelin at IU. That's where we went to school. And I was like, what is Javelin? I don't even know what that is, but that's really cool that he's uh, good enough to throw for IU. And I know you went to Purdue. I did. Yeah. I was going to say boo, IU. Um, (laughs) I have so such wonderful, wonderful friends from there, though. Got to become close to Jeff Coover and Derek Druin, who were teammates like at IU when I was at Purdue. And just there is like 
as in any rivalry, those are the people that understand you best, like from college. So it's whatever. Yeah. Um, boiler up all day long. However, I also think <laughs> IU campus is so beautiful. Um, I first got introduced to Javelin when I was a high school freshman. So that is actually a really weird thing about Indiana. They don't have the javelin in high school. And so when I was in college at Purdue, and maybe your best friend's brother like had this experience too, coaches would bring like their athletes from smaller schools like to our home meets and say, Kara, like, can you please teach my athlete to throw the javelin real fast? And I was like, no, um, I'm trying to compete as well. Like, I don't know what's, what's going on. And I was so young that I didn't really understand that. But I had a head start when other people in the U.S. really did it. Okay, interesting. That Then that makes sense. Because I did do track and field in high school, and that makes sense why I wouldn't have known what it even was. And I don't even know how he found out about it. So you're from the Pacific Northwest. So that was like, a, it's a regular thing out there to have javelin in high school there. And have we introduced it to high schools in Indiana by now? No, um, sadly, no. So there are now actually 22 states that have the javelin in the U.S. And um, I don't even, there's not a, a distinctive list. Like there isn't a one true source of information about like which high schools have it. You really have to piece it together on your own if you're motivated to do so, which I and friends were a few months ago. Uh, when I was growing up, only 13 states had javelin. In the US. Oh, wow. Okay, so we've made some progress. Some progress. And like Arizona, Florida, um, South Carolina, I believe, are some of the ones that have added it like since I even was graduated from college. Obviously, that's a while ago. Um, but Washington, Oregon, um, Montana, I think Idaho. Um, I was just surrounded by javelin states. Not that I really knew that before I got to high school and was randomly asked to try. Oh, okay. Um, how did you pick going to Purdue? That's pretty far from home. It is. Uh, my mom grew up in Iowa, so we had always visited my grandparents in Fort Dodge, which I know is not Indiana, but it was Midwest like comfort zone for me. Mm-hmm. And when Coach Rodney Zira called me, um, there were already there's already a woman, uh, Lindsay Blaine, who ended up winning NCAA championships in 2007, who was on the the okay. team. She was from Washington as well, so I thrown against her actually my junior year of high school, um, and knew that she was there, knew she'd be a great training partner, knew she was already having immediate success. And he had coached the former American record holder, um, Serene Ross, whose school record was that American record at the time. So just like a really good javelin situation to walk into, plus a giant school with lots of academic opportunity, because I still don't really know what I want to be when I grow up. I love it. So good. Um, yeah, because this javelin thing really worked out for you. I mean, you had a long career for <laughs> Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Who I knew? mean, wild. Yeah, that's amazing. What did you major in? Um, my major ended up being nutrition, fitness, and health. Um, I started okay. in interior design. I switched like anyone a bunch of times, but mathematics education. I thought about like uh, biomechanics and kinesthesiology, stuff like that. Um, and then enough of those science classes like went to nutrition, fitness, and health. But I got a minor in art and design like from all of those design classes early. And one of my bigger regrets is not sticking with the interior design. I was intimidated mm. by like the outside of classwork, right? Like I'm an athlete, not an interior designer. And I watched so many teammates do like the intensive nursing programs, engineering, like so many things that were possible, like with sport. And I just like let myself be intimidated by the first semester that I was overloaded. Um, 
And I wish I could go back and change that. But the practical aspect of nutrition as an athlete was also good. Um, so like now do you, are you like interested in that? Like, are you constantly like designing things in your house and stuff? Um, my husband and I have renovated the entire interior of our house and his mom's, which is really fun. Um, her budget was very different than ours when we did our house in 2014. So that was super cool. Uh, so yes, I am interested. I had a couple teammates like USATF teammates. Uh, we were on a bus in Tokyo, tell me that I should go back to interior design. So I'm contemplating. We will see. When you say you renovate it, like were you guys doing the work or were you just like picking things out and you hired it out? We did the work. You did. So yeah. like you put new floors in and all that stuff. Uh-huh. We rerouted HVAC. We pulled up subfloor to How did you do, do that? He's incredible. Like if okay. my husband watches one YouTube video, he can uh. retexture an entire house. Like he's – and I tell him how weird that is to like learn something immediately. Um, but it's super, super impressive. So he saves us all of the money and I – Oh, all of do, the money. Yes. I mostly do all of the grunt work. Like I'm happy to sand. Um, I'll do uh-huh. prep stuff. Like I am not the detail – I'm very detail-oriented, but in terms of like making it look perfect, I have a lot of anxiety around that. So um, uh-huh. he's the, the finished work guy but super fun to learn alongside him we did that when we were like the year we got married so if we were fighting about the wedding we could work on the house and vice versa it was great that's awesome um I I have a son named Russ so I love that that's your husband's name it's like just not a very regular name for like a little kid is he redheaded no he's not but he has a very full head of hair he was born with like all sorts of black hair and now he's got hair that's like almost as long as mine and um his name very much suits him (laughs) very cool I always said it's like such a strong name and it's difficult to mispronounce like (laughs) my mom's name is Rana Uh so a lot of people call her Rona and that's not Uh great and then Kara becomes Kara a lot of times and Uh uh, yeah so meeting rest like there's not a whole lot of ways to pronounce that must be nice tell us your um your history how you met all that. Okay. So 2006, we were both on the USATF NACAC under 23 team in the Dominican Republic, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Um, so fun. There were just like, from both of our experiences as young athletes, like all these people on that team that we had already known, um, and we're sort of close to you, but like, it was like, we both knew different parts of that group. And as soon as we met each other, we were pretty much inseparable that weekend. Um, and everyone was like, Oh, Kara and Russ, like, what are they doing? Where are they? Where's Kara? I don't know. Where's Russ? Like, you'll probably find her with Russ. Um, and it was just, it was just cute. And we were both like, this has never happened to me before, like kind of lighting in a bottle situation. And there were bars on the beach, you know, we're all 20, 21, 22 years old. That was definitely a factor. Like it's July in the Dominican <laughs> Republic with all of your friends. Um, but I did terrible. He did great. Uh, it just didn't really matter. It was like this absolute social trip. Um, and it's definitely a legend. This year in, well, 2022, when NACAC seniors, like my very last USA team, were in the Bahamas. 
it felt so much the same. And like, my husband's not there, but I was just like, guys, like, this is an ideal, like, wrap up of like, we're just playing volleyball on the beach with drinks, like after everyone is done. And it was like, mid August and a lot of people's last competition. And it was just like, such the same vibe of friendship, tropical destination, like how cool that we get to travel the world and be with Mm. our friends. Um, So that was really fun. But that's how Russ and I met. And then we finally, in our first year of marriage, both medaled at Pan Ams and made a world championship team Mm. together and got to be like roommates in um, Tokyo at training camp and then in Beijing at Worlds. And by no coincidence, um, that was like my first major final. So he's just been such an important part of my career. Ah, oh, love it. Yeah. And we'll get into the coaching situation as well. But um, what year, what year did you get married? 2014. Okay. 2014. That's okay. And that's the same year. Wow. You got married and renovated a house in the same year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a big, big undertaking. It was really, <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of time for track and I was also trying to go to grad school. Um, so something had to give and I ended up not uh-huh. going to like most of the meets at the the second half of the season because I was like I guess I should actually commit to this relationship and uh house and make uh, some sacrifices um plus I just did not have time to train so that that season was kind of a wash and it was only the second one after my first ACL surgery as well okay question wait did you did you end up not finishing the grad stuff the grad school I did, stuff. yeah, but I like oh, gave did. it a break during the, okay. the home renovation and wedding planning, um, and then graduated in 2016 from that program. Uh, okay, and what was the program? Um, it's just DeVry University's Keller Graduate School of Management. The USOPC okay. had a scholarship program for a while, um, so full ride like from 2013 through 2016, and I only took one class online at a time, like very much took nice. my time to finish the program, but so worth like the letters and uh, exercising my mind while my, my body was resting or whatever. Like I really enjoyed the multifacetedness of it. Yeah, I think that's so important, like have something to focus on when you're going through an injury and also like to have something in your mind that you might focus on Mm -hmm. in case something pops up because we never know what is going to happen. Did you find that was super helpful? Yes, I loved it. Uh, And I had applied for that program in the fall of 2012. um, And my first ACL surgery was right at the end of September. So I think I applied before going under the knife. And then when I found out that I was accepted into the scholarship program, I like it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, my gosh, for the first time, I'm going to do something besides track um, for like I had only been an athlete for the three years since I graduated from college. And uh, I didn't realize how much I needed something else. So it was like very instantly apparent that I had been missing out on like experiencing other things in my life. And I jumped in with both feet um, and was really excited about it. So especially not knowing how difficult that surgery would be, like it it really blindsided me. It was my biggest, you know, event injury wise to date and uh, to have something else to focus on when my knee hurt, when I was like frustrated with the way that rehab was going, like when I didn't realize how long it would be, but I had something else to do is super helpful. So do you think in hindsight that like sort of prepared you for what retirement would be because you had those times where you for an extended period of time couldn't do what you love? Um it feels different for sure because when you're injured you're working to get back to the thing you love. 
And now I've chosen to not go back. Um, So there isn't that kind of security blanket. Like there isn't a safety net of like, I know that I'm the best in the world at this one thing. Um, It's just gone. And I chose that and I'm really happy about it. But it's what I'm best at. It's what like I know that I can go and do really, really well and be confident in. And that's the gaping hole for sure. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Most days are good. Um, I think that the real... The real problem is just that, is that you know that you're best at this one thing. And it's been so long since I tried stuff that I wasn't good at that it can be really disorienting when, like, like I played a basketball game. I went and played uh-huh. in a rec league with my friend. And uh, I wore my brace. I wore my ACL brace. And all of the, like, you know quote unquote regular people in the gym were like, I can't believe you're wearing that brace. I'm like, I would not be here if I weren't wearing this brace. And I got away almost scot-free. Like I I got out of my comfort zone and I was like trying to defend somebody in open court rather than just like stay under the basket like I should. And I collided with another player on my right knee, like my non-ACL knee and got bursitis like immediately. Um, So I had to get that drained. And like, it's just really funny because I like am excited to do other things, but I typically have an experience where I get like derailed a little bit pretty early in those new things. And that's not unusual. Like I broke my arm playing football when I was in college. Like I shouldn't try other stuff that's like physical (laughs) um, besides javelin or like hiking, (laughs) but I desperately want to like try something else that's like physical and new and I can like get gradually better at like the javelin and I just haven't found it yet. But that extends like more um, purpose driven wise like in other areas like I'm also open Mm. to other like missions that are personal to me um and maybe the announcing and like webcasting is part of that but uh yeah there's just like still a huge question mark in my life and I have a full-time job like I had the security of like moving into that more so when I was already doing it for the last two seasons um but I just need like an extra layer of something that's mine Yeah, it's like so hard. I I feel like too, I'm a little bit older than you, but there's this time in your life where you're like, especially when you're moving on from something that's been such an integral part of your life where you're like, what's my purpose? And it's like it, the older you get, the more like almost intense that feeling gets that you want to be living in, in like with purpose because you know, that time is so like, it's, you know, it's like, it's not unlimited. Um, so I resonate a lot with what you're saying. What is the job that the full-time job you have? So I work for a company called Parity. We are working to oh. close, yes, the giant wage gap in sports sponsorship globally, um, gender pay gap. And it's really fun to understand the community that I'm serving. Like I'm a woman athlete. I was for 20 years. Like I, I know what they need. Um, and it, but at some points it feels like too close to a uh, sport and I'm not doing it the same way. So that like each day is uh-huh. a little bit of an internal conflict. Like I miss this. I'm still surrounded by it, but in like a little bit different way that I don't have again as much control over. Um, so it can be frustrating, but I've learned a lot about like the women that I never 
got to be fans of, like, as I was throwing the javelin, like, we have 800 women plus, like, in our community who've self-selected into this, like, intentional sports sponsorship matching community. So to get to know their stories, like, that's absolutely my favorite part is, like, the individual use cases of all the athletes that I'm serving and helping companies understand the impact that they can have marketing-wise with these, like, very unique, powerful individual stories. So it's great. Uh, there are just some days where I'm like, this is too close to who I was <laughs> as a javelin thrower. Professionally wonderful. Personally, like a little bit of a challenge some days. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Well, I did see, I did know you were affiliated with Parity, but I did not know that's what your full-time gig was. Yeah. So my title is Senior Director of Integrated Influencer Marketing. I think just integrated marketing at this point. So we're doing more <laughs> like in-person stuff as uh, – COVID continues to go away a little bit, like the world opens up a little bit more. Um, so that's really fun because I, I quite enjoyed the, the public speaking and stuff too and getting women like in front of a lot of times other women, like there are women's conferences that we send people to um, that can be a really powerful experience for uh, corporate people, financial advisors, et cetera, et cetera, to like learn about these women's stories who they never will hear on the NBC Olympic coverage, right? Like, um there's just not time, but there is time at all of these like conferences. And I love like being able to match somebody intentionally based on just the little bit that I've paid attention to their story. And then hearing a company say like, we want, you know, someone who just got married and is an Olympic and world champion, uh, Katie Moon, <laughs> like to come and talk yeah. to us. Um, and like, that's really fun. So again, the individual opportunities to like match people really well with companies that um, wouldn't get to hear their name unless we told it to them is really, really fun. Uh, so to oh, try, I love that. yeah, and it goes into like product marketing and stuff like that too, like to think about how women can represent a certain brand and the new thing that they're launching. Like that's my role to help them understand women as their advertising agent and then help the women execute the opportunity really well too. Is it other sports too? It's not oh, just track yeah. and field? We have like okay. 70 sports. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that. What a fun job. But I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I definitely also see my bias happening like all the time towards field events of track and field. So of I, try, I try to check it, but I also like let it run rampant sometimes because um, we are incredible and uh, we do have just like such a unique perspective on the world. Um, but that just, it translates to every sport, every woman. Weightlifting is one of my favorites to work with. Women's wrestlers oh, are incredible. Like these really niche things that... They also typically have full-time jobs because the financial benefit isn't great, but that's even more relatable for a consumer too. Like, oh, I could also go after a dream that I have like while raising my children and having this full-time job because this woman is doing that in wrestling. Mm, yeah. So good. Okay. New sponsor that I am super excited about, Cozy Earth. Have you all tried Cozy Earth? They craft luxury goods that transform your lifestyle. They've been featured on Oprah's favorite things for five years in a row. Oprah. She is my interview idol. I will tell you that. I always listen to Oprah um, before any live shows. That's just like what I do. Anyway, so if Oprah recommends it, it's got to be good, right? Um, all their products are made responsibly 
sourced from bamboo. They come with a 10 year warranty. 10 years, wow, that's amazing. And Cozy Earth Bedding, here's my favorite part, is temperature regulating and is available in viscose from bamboo and in linen. Their loungewear, which is the softest, most comfortable, offers optimal comfort while maintaining a flattering, elegant fit. Okay, you're not gonna find a more comfortable way to lounge in your house and get into your sheets. Pair this with that Lagoon pillow I'm always talking about and you're gonna have the best sleep of your life. And here's the thing, Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today, up to 35% off site-wide when you use the code ANOTHER35. So go to CozyEarth.com, use the code ANOTHER35, that will get you 35% off your order. All right, friends, back to the show. Talk about just like being a field athlete in track and field. And um, do you feel like more attention needs to be paid to the field events? Like when you see Olympics on TV and stuff like that, I'm just curious what it's like from an insider's perspective. Yeah. I mean, my personal Olympic experience, like I would get people so often saying, "I why didn't I see you on TV? Mm. Because I didn't medal. Like, that's why you didn't see me. And as an American Olympic athlete, there is just, there is not time to tell all of the stories mm. because there are so many medalists. Like, I personally 100% understand, like, the, the time is money. Like, there's limited airwaves. Like, there's if it's like on the other side of the world and the time zone is really weird and they're trying to do live stuff. Like I totally get that priorities have to be set. Um, the live streaming of individual events and even qualifying rounds, like over the last two Olympic cycles have been really incredible for people to see. And the opportunity that I have now to like tell the entire story of an athlete on a webcast. Mm-hmm. Um, like the USATF Throws Festival was like a six, seven hour like coverage situation. And I love the research, like the intense diving into like everything that has brought this athlete to this point. But there has to be that time to tell it, right? And there is so much time during a competition to like get the base level information out and then be like, okay, what's happening today? What's happening this season? Like, let me tell that story. Um, I just think that the attention to detail, the like massive undertaking that it is to prepare for one person to have a breakout day that you wouldn't expect mm. does take a lot of time and energy. And I'm willing to do that because I know how much it would have meant to me to to do it as an individual. But more than that, like it's not necessarily a I wish someone had done this for me. It's a I in all of my disappointments, loved seeing the success of other people and celebrating that for like the entire human that they were. Mm-hmm. And I want other people to have that experience. Like it made my career so wonderful that I want a spectator to be like, oh, I get why this fourth place on the day is such a major triumph for this one individual who's always had difficulty competing at this competition, this one. Like, I want to tell the whole story and there is time for it. Yeah. And it's so important because otherwise we're just seeing someone throwing the javelin or throwing the shot put and like, oh, they're really good. And we don't know anything more. And also why I think it's so important that you have experienced athletes 
on the cast. Like you have people who have walked that road. They understand the trials because otherwise it's someone talking behind a microphone that can't possibly really truly understand it. Yeah. And I like, yes, I want more coverage for field events, but I want the stories that are going to resonate with audiences to actually be told. Like, I don't necessarily want to tear apart people's technique. Like, I know a little Mm. bit about all of it, but that's not what's important to me. It's like, how have they changed positions throughout this competition? Like, what has this season looked like for that one individual? And how can I tell the audience that, like, this 62-meter throw is actually incredible for the last five years of this person's life, So celebrate that at home with me on your couch um, and cheer them on for the rest of the season now knowing that they've had this like really encouraging performance individually like from this meet. And yes, celebrate the winners and the far throws, but like just humanize it in a way that lets people understand the sport and the actual experience of these individual athletes. Mm. It sounds like you have a long career ahead of you in this. Thank you. (laughs) Let's talk about that, like specifically with your story, though. I mean, I think that if people weren't following your career, everybody was talking about you when you medaled at the world championships and your last world championships. I mean, that that seemed to be the story of the world championships. Did you feel that love? <laughs> I definitely felt the love. Definitely. <laughs> um, I So my original... My first world championship team was 2009 in Berlin. Wow. And when I was growing up, like throwing the javelin in Washington, the this woman, her name is Steffi Nereus, she was like always on the podium, but not first. And mm-hmm. I'd watched her like on VHS from the 2000 Olympics, like the the one VHS tape that my high school coach had, we would watch over and over and over. And Steffi's there like throwing far. So in 2009, she had announced her retirement. And Worlds are in Berlin. And in the final, on her first throw, she threw like 67 mid, which is far. It wasn't her personal best, but like she kind of surprised everybody and nobody caught her. And she won her last world championships. Oh, my gosh. On home soil in Germany. And like the crowd went crazy. And I'm in the stadium. I didn't make the final, but it's like my first world championship team. And this is a woman I've been a fan of for so long. And I watched her like go out on her own terms. So when Eugene World Championships were announced, I was like, that's my end goal. Like, I will be Steffi Nereus. And in the seasons, like, after her retirement, Russ and I actually went to Europe, lived in um, Cologne, Germany, and trained in Leverkusen where she was coaching. So I all of a sudden had this, like, we got to go to, like, a barbecue at Steffi's house. And just the world of field events is so small that you get to be friends with your idols. Um, so when it came time for Eugene on my last throw, nothing else was happening in the stadium. Like Michael Norman was like getting ready to get in the blocks for the 400, uh, the 400 hurdles were going to happen after that, but like pole vault was done qualifying and like nothing else was going on in that stadium. And I had torn my ACL there. I made all of my Olympic teams there. Like it's this new stadium, but it's also still Hayward where like, so many things have happened for me in the sport. Like I just felt like I, my truest self here, everything positive or negative, like has occurred on this runway 
why not make this one moment the best one of all of them? And the way that the crowd elevated me, like I couldn't stop smiling at the back of the runway because I just felt like myself again in responding to the other far throws that had happened in that round. And I was just so confident because I had like fabricated this experience in my mind for so long, like ever since I knew that Eugene was going to be my last world's. Here I was finally in that moment and I like couldn't lose. And I had had one throw, one position in round five that told me I was like locked into the technique. And it was still mostly guts, like in a championship situation, like you still just have to rely on your heart. But I put it together the tiniest bit and I wasn't totally sure what it left my hand, but the crowd just kept getting louder and louder and louder as it went toward the silver medal position mark. Um, And when they freaked out, I knew that I was on the podium. So it was absolutely magical. And the love after that um, just matched the moment. But in a season where I also didn't have like major sponsors, I had some, some smaller support, like Tracksmith and New York Athletic Club were wonderful to me. But one of the cool things, like I have had major sponsors in the past and like I didn't have to go anywhere, right? Like I saw everybody that was important to me and say hi to um, in the stadium and right outside the stadium. And then I could just like get drug tested, go hang out with my family. Yeah, you didn't have sponsor obligations. It was incredible. And I like, do I want all the money? Maybe. But like I just (laughs) – to travel like the journey that I did – and end up there where I got to really honor the people that were by my side, like all the time was ideal for me. Mm. And I loved it. Yes. Oh, it was such a good moment. It was so exciting. Did you ever, were you considering before Eugene, like not competing in that world championships? Uh, no. The only thing that could have derailed that world's for me was my second ACL tear in 2020. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what made it that's what made Eugene that much more special is I truly didn't know how that second recovery was going to go and it's still really hard for me because mm-hmm. it just like it threatened the dreams that I had for a fourth Olympics and um, last worlds and that's what the real magic of 2022 is like I cannot believe people said to me so quickly after I hurt my knee the second time, you're going to come back stronger. And I was like, I'm 35. Like I am 34 and a half looking at these like final two seasons where I haven't PR'd for 10 years. Like, how can you say that? How can you be sure? Like I appreciated the the positivity and the support, but I just like, it was such a huge question mark. So for 2022 to unfold the way that it did is the most incredible thing of my entire life. Like I put the work in, I was like very intentional about like who coached me, et cetera, et cetera. But just, it was beyond my wildest dreams, especially considering that second injury. How did you convince yourself to believe like what those people were saying, but believe in yourself? Um, so I think 2021, like getting back for Tokyo, um, I was 10 months post-op at trials and then 11 months post-op like in Tokyo, like on qual or I got to the village, like at 11 months post-op and I, had been so emotional at trials because again, like I just didn't know what my second injury meant and uh, was so, so proud of coming back from it, making the team, et cetera, et cetera. But in a major injury recovery for me, it's always been about like keeping my head down, focusing on like the daily tiny victories to like keep you moving Mm. forward. 
And that can look like so much positivity, like from the outside, but it's, it's really just momentum for me. It's like, how do I keep this ball rolling until it becomes the snowman, like down the way, but I can't look at the end result yet. Like I have to stay right here, um, and get two more degrees of flexion in my knee today. Like that's just how small the goals become. So in that first year, I've kind of always had trouble like picking my head up at some point and being like, I'm better now. Like I can think about Mm -hmm. the Olympic final. And so I ran out of time a little bit for the mental piece, which is super normal and fine. Um, But I think that that's the bigger regret that I have that like I, I did have indications that I should have been able to believe earlier and I just, I couldn't quite get there. And I also think that that's normal. Like, I know that I did my best, right? But right. to have the very tangible, like, I didn't make the Olympic final. Beyond that, I didn't get into some meets in Europe, even though I had thrown 61-47. Like, I had proven kind of to the world that I was back from this injury, but I still wasn't good enough compared to the rest of my global competitors or even national competitors that year. So I didn't get opportunities that I had always gotten. And that was really, really hard. And so I just kind of had to take a step back and say, like, what do I need in this final season out of this career? Because if I'm not going to get the opportunities that I have always gotten, like, I need to define for myself, like, what success means. Mm. And that's what kind of like led me into 2022. Like I had to, the belief part was there. Like that's like why I went to Europe and tried to compete more. And I had like really proven to myself that I was back. Um, But it was the like, how do I, what do I focus on? Like what hasn't been missing from my career and how can I like get absolutely everything out of it that I need to in this one last opportunity. And that helped me believe in my process, I guess, even more. Yeah, that's so challenging. Like, it's kind of like a gut, like a punch in the gut when you're like not getting invited to these things that you know that you would bring value to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kick you while you're down situation. Yes. (laughs) Oh, but you know, and and that's so challenging. But like, then you said you had to define success for yourself. So like, maybe ultimately success didn't mean getting invited to those meets, even though you knew you deserved to be there. So then what, how did you define that success? Like what was the ultimate success, both short-term and long-term? Yeah, I, a big part of it was rest, like spending time with him again. Uh, I've never been someone, I think with my first two technical coaches, like this is not their fault at all. I've always been like coachable, I think to a fault, like I defer to Mm. other people and I have a hard time uh, saying what I need or what I think. And that's not necessarily true with my strength coach, Jamie, but like, because he was my coach for 14 years, like he's a very good friend. He saw me through like every difficult physical thing that I went through, like as an athlete Um, and just was, he drove me to my wedding. Like we're just family. Yes. Love it. So with him, like, That was never a problem, but the strength coach relationship is a little bit different than the technical coach relationship too. And I just, I could never quite say what I needed from Mm. technical coaches. Um, And I wasn't brave enough to know either. Mm. 
Um, so I'd been like remote coached by my first professional coach, Ty Savan, for like four or five years by the time I switched to uh, Dana Lyon, who was at the Air Force Academy here in town for a long time. And it was so much better to like have her in person, have her eyes on me. But there was still like, again, like not at all anything that she was doing, just me to an outside source, like wanting to like be respectful and defer to like what their technical input was rather than listen to myself. Mm-hmm. And I really got to the point in 2021, especially after my second knee injury, where I was like, I think that I understand some things about my body that no one else is ever going to. And I need to be like in a situation where I feel comfortable enough, like saying what I need. And I miss Russ. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we were athletes together for a really long time. We used to live in Europe together during the seasons. And I just loved like that piece of our relationship and wanted to just do that one more time, regardless of how the results went. Like, let's spend this time together. And part of that was in 2021 when I was in Europe not getting into those meets. I would call him upset. And he said at one point, he goes, well, what if I just come with you next year for fun? And I was like, instantly stopped crying like that sounds perfect and then the gears kind of kept turning and I was like well what if there was a reason you were there like want to want to be my coach and we very much came to that decision separately like we talked about it before him coaching me but it just wasn't time for either one of us yet this was like 2017 when we first had that conversation And all of a sudden we had both like independently been like, okay, now's the right time. Like we were in the kitchen talking about it and I hadn't said his name yet, but I was like, I think I know who I want to coach me in my final season. And he like spins around and he goes, me too. I would love to be your coach. So it was just like such perfect timing. And I was very much resigned to, I truly don't care like what the results are. I just want to feel like I'm doing something that I've never done before in terms of like listening to myself, owning my own throw um, and being true to like who I have been as an athlete, but also like giving myself kind of the empowerment to lead my own way with this person who's always had such great ideas, but will also like let me say what I need to say. That's so fascinating to hear because I I feel like I've talked to a lot of runners who have experienced this too, who've like left coaches because they were overworked or overtrained or they just felt like they couldn't um, guide their own path. Like you need your coach for your input. But like at the end of the day, like, you know, if your body's telling you like this isn't right for me, but at a younger age and maturity level, you might not know how to like process that with a coach that's not someone you're super close to or like, you know, a personal, personal relationship with. Right. A hundred percent. And, um, I, with Dana, I was close to that. Like she was, she was very wonderful. And like her technical model was so important to my second knee recovery. Like she Mm -hmm. was absolutely essential, um, to that process. So, like, I know that it was a me issue. And maybe that's what you're yeah. saying about these runners, too. Like, it, it's just a me, like, never being brave enough to, like, 
maybe start some sort of conflict. Like it always felt like that's what it would be. And maybe it wouldn't have been, maybe it would have been totally fine for me to like be really forceful about what I needed. And I didn't necessarily know, like I also needed a space to like talk through it and be frustrated. Like that's every marriage fight ever, right? Like I don't (laughs) actually know what's wrong in this moment. I need to like speak about it for a while and then figure it out. And that's very much how some of the practices went last year. Um, but we could also like drive home, chill out, like listen to a podcast or whatever, and then talk about it later. Yeah. Like have time to ruminate and then figure it out. So I think that I thought it was mostly emotional, like wanting to just spend time with him and the benefit of like having talked about my technique for so long. Cause like Jamie has been part of my career for 14 years, but Russ was there before I was an Olympian. Right. And I forget about that all the time. Like we've been together for 16 years and he's just he has been there the whole time and listened to all my pain points, all my frustrations, all my like technical changes, absorbed all of that and put it into my final season. So like I was very much looking for like I want to hang out with my husband and I know that's best for me as like an individual um, and enjoying myself all over the world because that's when my best results come. But the byproduct of him being around for so long and being so technically minded um, was also like fantastic technical changes. Okay, what was what were his specialties when he was competing? He threw shot put and discus. Okay. But mostly that's what disc, I thought. Mostly disc by the end, yes. Um, how did he know so much about specifically javelin? This might be a silly question, for, but like as someone who's not like a field person. No, people even in the throws think the javelin is the weird one. Okay. <laughs> it's not. It's hammer. Hammer is the weird one. And <laughs> the the similarities between how you kind of develop stretch reflex in the shot put discus and javelin are many and numerous. Okay. okay. Javelin's just the like approach event rather than the rotational one. Um, okay. Tell us what hammer does. Hammer, um, I mean, it's there are similar concepts, like you're trying to generate separation between your hips and your shoulders, like you're creating torque through the middle of your body to propel the implement far, using okay. your connection to the ground to do so okay. in different orientations. But in the hammer, you're spinning around and then creating that separation, uh-huh. um, and the just the... The positions that you get into are very different because your feet are right next to each other. Uh huh. Shot put discus hammer, your feet are separated and you're like using your legs differently to create that stretch. New sponsor here that I am really excited about, a product that I have been using a few times a week when I need a little extra kick. It is Lifestacks. LifeStacks MCT is the most nourishing thing to add to your coffee. It's a delicious MCT creamer packed with functional, science-backed adaptogens that deliver smooth, long-lasting energy. It cuts through fatigue and boosts mood and vitality, especially when training hard or when you want to focus really hard on an interview. I actually took it before my interview this morning with Grace Norman. I had a cup of coffee with LifeStacks MCT in my coffee, and it made me feel sharp and focused. Now, this can help you with your performance with running. It can be a tool for your endurance work, like speed workout, tempo runs. And thanks to the powerful blend of functional ingredients, 
LifeStacks MCT puts you in the zone in a way that's helpful, but not overwhelming. It boosts your willpower so that you can keep strong for a long time. This isn't a pre-workout. It's a whole system upgrade to your health and performance. It will raise your performance baseline over time rather than just jolt and crash your system. It's vegan, keto, and uses very clean ingredients. They set out to make a delicious coffee creamer that's supportive of a healthy, high-performing lifestyle. Now, they know that it is extremely important what athletes put into their bodies, so they formulated this to the highest quality standards. Lifestacks MCT is manufactured in the United States in a GMP NSF certified facility to ensure purity, potency, and safety. They have chocolate, vanilla, hazelnut. My favorite is the chocolate. And it dissolves best in your coffee when you use a handheld frother. Who doesn't like their coffee froth? That is the best way to have coffee. I'm serious when I notice the zing and the extra focus when I use this. I guarantee you're gonna like it. So they suggest going to Amazon to make your purchase. I have the link, my special link for this in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. I will also put it in my Instagram, in the stories at lindsayhine626. It's Lifestacks Chocolate MCT. If you put that into Amazon, you can find it or find the link in my Instagram, lindsayhine 626 or in the show notes of this episode at sandyboyproductions.com. All right, friends, back to the show. Okay, what was that like celebrating that? I know you said you didn't have all these sponsor obligations. You got to go to your people, but like truly like being with Russ, celebrating that moment with him, knowing he had worked with you, not just as a coach now, but like throughout this entire process. Yeah. Um, he is so wonderful. He works as a fly fishing guide, um, as well as like a bunch of other things. And he's like fun. Yeah. And he's just, he's so good. He thinks he's antisocial or he thinks he doesn't like people. And then he's like so good at coordinating people. Um, so I'm like getting drug tested. My, I didn't see my parents till the next day, but we like went and played bridge in my parents' RV like the next day. Like that's how we celebrated. Cause like I said, didn't have to do anything. Um, and it was just so nice to be 36, like eating pizza with my friends, like in our Airbnb as the celebration. Like that was it. And I had already dubbed 2022 the year of champagne. So like Every great thing that happened, it was like champagne, like a $70 bottle. Like we've got this. Um, so that night, like we definitely had champagne and pizza, but it was like my my very good high school friends, my swimming teammates, Erica and Jess, their sisters, like they slept on the floor of the Airbnb. Like Ari was uh, my roommate at the hotel, Ariana. And, and so I got to like go back and be with her for a couple more days um, after the competition. And Jamie was there. So it's just like five people that I love dearly, like in this Airbnb eating pizza, um, and then going to bed at a reasonable hour. Like it was so (laughs) great, but like to watch Russ be the coordinator, like of this little pizza party and like, so happy to include the people that he knows are super important to me, um, was really, really cool because it was perfect. Oh, I love that. Um, so you swam in high school? I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. swimming basketball track and field um swimming is the hardest sport I've ever done it's so hard yeah so hard and then I thought basketball was my ticket to college but when I tried javelin I was like oh okay yes Mm -hmm. 
So you were good at basketball too, obviously. I thought I was good, Lindsay. I tried really <laughs> hard. Like I tried my darndest um, and missed so many layups, but like was fast, like worked hard, pretty good at defense. Like I'm tall, like like block people. Um, but for like a young high school that was like growing, I was okay. And I had maybe yeah, yeah, had yeah. the D2 looks. Yeah, but. Okay. Okay. Um, swimming is so hard. My boys do summer swim here. Like North Carolina swim culture is like huge. We came from Indiana where it's not so huge. And it is like the best way to start the day in the summer because it just freaking wears them out. And I thought they would hate it because it is so hard, but they love it. And it's like, it makes me so happy. Good. I I am a huge fan. And Indiana swimming is actually getting crazy, but... um, is it? It's, Tell me more. Yeah. Like some of, well, diving centers are super big in Indiana. So that's where all the divers come from. But um, right, yep. s- swimming is definitely like catching up to that. Uh, Lily King, one of the stars of Rio, True. is from yep. Indiana. Uh, and there are like just quite a few. Well, I guess when I say that, I'm thinking we lived in the city and I just feel like there wasn't a lot of like big programs like in the city, whereas like in the suburbs, there's big, huge, these big, huge programs. But, um, also just like the year round here in North Carolina seems to be Mm -hmm. more all the rage, but you have really good points there. Maybe I was just in the wrong atmosphere. Oh, and the boys, the boys just weren't ready. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, (laughs) and I am just like more aware my college coach, Ronnie Zitterwick is now at Notre Dame and his boys uh-huh. swam. So they were like uh-huh. mostly in New Mexico, but then I'm just like weirdly aware of the high school swimming scene in Indiana. Like that's not that's unusual so at funny. all. <laughs> I, well, no, no, like Carmel, you're right though. Carmel, I don't think has ever lost like a state championship. Like the swim culture up there is huge too. So um, it go. could be, it's probably where we lived also, yeah. like where we lived in the state. But then the coastal, like, swimming prowess situation, like, um, we lived in Hawaii when I was really little, and the first swim team that I was on was in Hawaii. Oh, wow. And, like, all of these kids have grown up in the ocean, and now they're, like, swimming competitively. I was I was eating bubbles. Like, it was... Oh, yeah. It was like, I'm terrible at this, but I like to swim, so I'll keep moving forward, I guess. Um, but that was like my introduction to the sport. And I was like, oh, people are extremely fast. Like, I feel confident. These, these kids learned how to swim in literally in the ocean. Yeah. And they've dodged all of the animals and stuff like that and like held their breath forever. And it was quite a um, striking experience. But yeah, I loved it for the people. Um I think it developed my exercise-induced asthma, like, in the pool, but it's fine. It went away and just had great, great, great experiences, like, putting the work in individually and seeing the results. Um, And then, so when I tried Javelin and I was just a little more naturally talented at it, I was like, oh, okay, this is my, this is my version of this. Mm. Were, are you a military family? What were you guys doing in Hawaii? Um, My dad is a civil engineer, so he has been on many, like, jobs, throughout the West for my entire life. Yeah. So we moved a lot, like we moved like 11 times before I was in fifth grade. Wow. But not for military. Everyone says that. They're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you assume when you hear someone move. But it's just the jobs, highways, like bridges, like big Uh heavy construction stuff, like in different states in the West. How long did you live in Hawaii? 
three years. I was seven to ten, so it was like okay. formative, formative as a child. I'm like, this is where I belong. <laughs> like, I love it very much. But um, we came back to the mainland in fifth grade. Oh, that's so cool, though. Like, how cool that you got to live there as mm-hmm. a as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, how about being the flag bearer in Tokyo? Tell us about um, what that meant to you. Yes. Well, I mentioned that I love, like in all my disappointments, I I paid attention to other people's stories. Like that's really how I survived Olympic disappointment because the village after you fail is one of the loneliest places in the world. And uh, you're trying so hard to like give everyone else their opportunity. Like this is how I always looked at it. Uh, I can be a fairly loud crier. (laughs) 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 And I like in my sadness, like didn't want to detract from anyone else's experience. Like those walls are thin. You're can't sleep because you're just trying to go back in time. Like I'm just like on my phone, um, crying silently in the dark. Like that's like all of the post Olympic qualifying, like not making the finals experiences. So like you have two choices, like just wallow in your own misery or turn around and like be a part of the Olympic games that are going on around you. So that's always what I had tried to do. Like I got to spend time with my family when they were there. Um, But go to the meet, watch the events, go to some other sport, like just make it about the Olympic Games rather than your own suffering. Mm. Um, And in Tokyo, like, it was so clear to me that people saw that effort for so many years. And the reason it was so incredibly special was my knee injury. Um, everyone was lonely, right? In the lead up to Tokyo, like everyone's going through Mm. COVID. Everyone's just doing their best at home. And I had been in such chaos, like trying to get to the games that I just truly didn't feel like myself until I was finally around these teammates again. And I think everyone felt that way to a degree, but they'd all seen my efforts for so many years. And the first step to being flag bearer was being elected team captain by the women of track and field. So specifically this team of incredible metal hauling, like diverse women saw me and elected me their captain. And to sit in that meeting where like people from every event group were yelling my name when they asked for nominations um, was just like, the most emotional part of a really, really emotional year. And then from there, I've been a training center athlete for 14 years um, between Chula Vista and Colorado Springs. So I've like seen everybody on every Olympic team, like come through those spaces and tried to be aware of what their stories were too. And through two rounds of voting after I was women's team captain for track and field, and they submitted my name to the ballot, all of Team USA elected me flag bearer. So at a mm. games where I really thought that I was finally going to make it, and I still didn't, to be accepted in that way, um, really propelled me into 2022. And I never, ever, ever could have seen it coming. And I'll never not cry about it because it meant so much to me to like be a part of it. Like, that's all Ah. I wanted. It was, like, such base level acceptance that, like, we see your story, you're one of us, um, and we want you to represent us in this way. And the very few, like, mean tweets, right, that were, like, who is this girl? Like, who, why would she ever carry the flag were Mm. met 
were met by teammates from so many years past saying, no, she's absolutely the right choice. And like that part, like really put me over the edge too, that it wasn't just everyone on the team. It felt like everyone from every one of my teams was saying like, you matter, you're representative of other people here. And the messages I got from fellow non-medalists were exactly that too, that like, this makes my experience feel more valid. Mm. Um, And I just, it's the honor of my lifetime. For sure. Uh, tell it again. <laughs> That's Rewind. the best story. <laughs> Rewind, replay. <laughs> like, just uh, yeah, so. But it's like, as I'm sitting here as a parent, it is like the perfect story about what we want all of our kids to learn about being a team player. You know? I mean, like, we are all going to have so many disappointments. And the fact that you actually thought that through every single cycle, you wanted to be in that final, you wanted to medal. And if it didn't happen for you, you were still there celebrating the games with other teammates who were meddling and were doing things that you had hoped you might have done. And like, that's the story our kids need to hear. Those are the stories that need to be told on the webcast. Okay. Yeah, I tried it. I do that for other people. That's that's why I'm here. Thank you. It was absolutely magical. It's, and uh, the only way, like, like the village is super lonely, but then um, the closing ceremony, I had only been to two of them, I think. I didn't go to Rio, but I went to London and Beijing. And I just remember, like, this super aching, like, disappointment feeling and just, like, a little bit of desperation. This, like, oh, my gosh, I hope I get back here. I hope I can make it different when the flame goes out. You're just, like, like there's just an extinguishing of hope for a second. <laughs> like, that's yeah. And in Tokyo, like, there was absolutely none of that. Like, I had already made this decision and then my teammates honored me. Um, the decision to not come back like I don't have unfinished business here anymore like I will never be an Olympic finalist but that's okay because I know that I gave it my best shot Um, and then to be honored in this way and like it didn't it didn't feel like it was even about me like I very selfishly Mm -hmm. can feel that way but it was just like yes I will represent you all of you people And I remember I said that out loud to like the track and field team when we were getting ready to leave the village for the closing ceremony. Like I was like, I, I can't let this moment pass without saying thank you, like in person to these people. And I like could not get more than five words out. Like Mm. I just so emotional about it and they all got it, you know, like I, I know that someone recorded that and maybe I'll post it some way or someday, but I've never seen the video of it. Oh. But um, it was like, yeah, like I had gotten one car accident in my life and I couldn't speak after. Like, that's how it felt. Like, just the extreme, like, gratitude um, and emotion of it. But in the closing ceremony, like, when the flame go went out, like, it was just peace and stillness and, like, acceptance. Like, it was just so different from all of the other experiences, like, leaving without what I thought I wanted um, mm. because I'd gotten something better and, like, more perspective in this, like, very extreme way. So, super, super cool. Oh, that's so beautiful. And then you went and got a world championship medal. Yeah. Well, and – um. <laughs> It's so funny when people like that truly was like the catalyst to the rest of my summer too, right? Like this silver medal Yeah. to share that with Kelsey Lee Barber of Australia, like the first woman to defend her world championship title, like in the women's javelin was wild. Um, Cause I had like 
hugged her first when she won in Doha, like I'm in the final and I got to like give her her first hug as world champion. And then same, like this time, but she's so happy for me because she knows like what I've been through and um, like Worlds was so fun. And then there's this brand new talent in Haruka Kiriguchi from Japan in bronze. But like when people ask me about 2022, Worlds is so important. It's so pivotal to like the rest of what the summer was, but my favorite moments were after that. And I can't like replace the silver medal experience because it made the other ones happen. But like mm-hmm. whenever anybody like like asks about summer of 2022, they're talking about Worlds. And the first thing that comes to my mind is like everything that happened after Worlds. Um, so it's just, it's super interesting because it was so amazing, but it like allowed me to PR for the first time in 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. Oh my God. It set me up to win the Diamond League final, like the first American Javelin Diamond League final, um, or Diamond League champion. And I just, none of those things happen without the other things. Mm -hmm. But it was just Brussels PR for the first time in 12 years, like with just Russ there with me was like the absolute moment of my career for sure. So you're, you walk away, like we are, we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, the feelings on retirement and what now and all that. But like in those moments, did you walk away feeling like it is done? (laughs) I am satisfied. Yes. 1000%. Um, Yeah. yeah. And like to go out on a high note after many low notes uh, is so magical. And I, I called my strength coach quite a bit, like in the months since September um, to just say like, remind me how hard it was. Like all I remember is fun and victory and like the furthest throws of my life. Um, And it's so easy to be like, Oh yeah, I could do that again. But uh, the the very intense rehab, the inability to be brave enough to let that kind of relaxation happen when I didn't have an end in sight is really what held me back, I think, after my first ACL is I mm. was scared all the time. I was scared for 10 years every time I threw a javelin because of my knee. And to remove that fear, like to have the freedom to be like, I have 12 more competition throws. Like I can put everything I have into them because like if disaster strikes, okay, but like I'm pretty confident that it's not going to in this two years post-op. Like I know how hard I've worked. I'm wearing my brace, like I'm prepared. Um, But to not have an end goal for that fear, like an ending point, a light at the end of the tunnel, um, for so long, I think was part of why I couldn't really tap into my ultimate potential and to like give myself the freedom to only be brave for X amount of time in 2022 is like why all that stuff happened. So I'm good. So I'm ready to leave. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're ready and you're figuring you're figuring out the next purposes and, and stages and we don't have to have all the answers right now. We right. don't have to know. Well, and even when I got home, like I... I am still ranked number one in the world. Like I get to enjoy that for months upon months. (laughs) Like that's really cool. That's Um, amazing. Thank you. But like I I knew that those questions would come up like immediately from other people that everyone would be like, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Like, can I just sit down for it? Yeah. Yeah. Or can I just like enjoy this for a second? And so um, I think that's what my – 
like mini existential crisis has been recently is like okay i've enjoyed it i'm now what? I've, I've soaked it up like now i get to ask myself what the next thing is uh-huh um, and i just i really tried to like keep the celebration going for um as long as i could but in a, not in any obnoxious way just like let the realization that like that magic did happen like truly sink in and enjoy it for as long as i could and I still am, but now I'm like ready to do something else. Not champagne every night. No, no, no. Thirty-seven kid, can't do that. <laughs> you do need to bust. I feel like you need to bust it out on the anniversaries of these these big events and things like that, though, because yeah, um, you'll, why not? Right. Well, and that's like I'm trying to consciously like not make my entire social media presence like a repeat of 2022. <laughs> like every post feels like, a, oh, a year ago today I had this breakthrough in practice that like allowed 2022 to happen. So I'm trying not to be obnoxious like that, but I can't promise that it won't happen all season. Yeah. Don't promise it. No. It's always weird when social media is so weird because you like you're experiencing and processing your own feelings in real time and like you want to share that but like other people don't really understand your internal dialogue like I'm dealing with this with my surgery I just had like I'm like oh people are gonna be like oh she's posted about her surgery again blah 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 and it's like but that's like literally what I'm processing in my life in this Mm -hmm. moment so yeah Yeah. it's interesting to process out loud right but like making it true to you like is the most successful like I because what else is it for like it's for social interaction of it and if you're not being true to like what you're going through then people aren't going to respond to that and then you can't be social so like I fully support um yeah both of us posting what we need to post or not. Yeah. We're just letting right. it not be there. And that's fine too. Um, yeah. It's very strange to like, I think the social media part of sport uh, is a, an odd adjustment too. Because I'm like, what do I, in retirement, what do I post about? Like, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I've only ever posted workouts and throws and that's exactly what it's become. But uh, it's it's an odd thing to be like, do, do people care? about the rest mm-hmm. of my life and do I need them to, right? I will continue yes. sharing about the difficult things and the adjustment and the because I've like always tried to just be really vulnerable, um, especially in injury recoveries and things like that. But like, do I just, should I just leave? <laughs> like, am I oblivion now? And like, how do I navigate that? Uh, but the answer is to just keep sharing, talking. I I totally resonate with that. I feel like I'm like, um, am I exiting this part of my life? I don't know. But then I just keep posting pictures and telling all my feelings. So yeah. good, good. <laughs> um, well, what is something personally or professionally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Professionally and personally. I think what's become clear with the webcasting is that that is my way to stay connected to the sport. And I know that other like former athletes that are doing it feel the same way. So that's cool to like be aligned with them. Um, I'm hosting a javelin clinic at Colorado State University at the end of July. So I'm super excited about that. Um, But I want like I'm not going to pretend like I'm good at coaching it's it's a gift right so I want to coach coaches in the javelin okay they have the coaching gift I have the javelin gift I feel like I can explain it in ways that coaches will understand better than their youth athletes and then they can help develop the event in the United States so 
those are my professional personal things. Wait, the Javelin Clinic is not for Javelin athletes. It's for the coaches of the athletes. Yes. Athletes are invited, yeah. but very few of them, and I'd rather their coaches come. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yes. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Totally fine. Um, so those are like my personal, professional goals. I want to keep speaking. Um, people have told me that I should write a book. Uh, it's very much a fairy tale ending, right? So like, that's wild. And... I I just I don't know who the book is for, right? Mm. So I have to figure that out. But I would enjoy it. I do enjoy writing. Um and I had an idea that maybe my brother, who is an author, could like write it from his perspective as the brother of an athlete who succeeded. Like what's the what's the opposite experience of that? And not opposite, but like in tandem experience, because he was my best friend growing up, but like we had very different childhoods. It's really clear here in our adulthood. Um, so is that interesting? I don't like, there's a lot I want to keep processing like publicly about the javelin via broadcasting, mm -hmm. clinicking, and like potentially writing stuff. Whether that's a book or a bunch of blogs, I don't know yet. Uh, and then professionally, I don't know. Like I am continuing to grow as a professional um, expand my horizons, keep like learning in detailed ways, like at parody about different parts of like business and the world and how people work together. Um, and as an individual athlete for a long time, sometimes I think that's a big challenge for me too. Like how come people don't understand me? <laughs> how do I introspectively like figure this out and um, does that work or not? Uh, so there's a lot of learning that's still going on there too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read? Oh, I'm reading Kara Goucher's book currently, mm. The Longest Race. I was reading it in camp. We went camping this weekend for Memorial Day and I just laid in a hammock all day on Sunday and read her book. Um, so it's, it's important. It's very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I've read some really good Taylor Jenkins read. Oh, I love her books. Yes. And I love Kara's book. Yes. It's, it's really good. It's very wild. Speaking of like running versus field events, <laughs> not versus, but, um, yeah. like some of, some of the, the details in there are just wild for a javelin thrower to read about like not oh I'm sure yeah not necessarily the interpersonal stuff but the um just the way that contracts work and appearance fees and all that stuff like, oh, oh can you um, can you believe it yeah. <laughs> yeah it's insane happy for her yeah but like at what cost is also the thing and um right that's part of my 2022 like I mentioned not having sponsor obligations at Worlds uh the same remained true. Like New York Athletic Club treated me well, like after I broke the American record and stuff like that. But um, as I navigated each major competition, I know what my contracts looked like for nine years. And I know what that would have meant in bonuses in 2022. Yes. And I got oh, zero. Like, I got zero of those dollars. And I like it was such a, a interesting thing to realize because of the therapy that I did before 2022 also to just like acknowledge that and move on. <laughs> like mm. as the meets kept happening, I was like, Ooh, this would have meant 80 grand. Right. And moving on. Like I, <laughs> Oh, that's so hard to do. 
But like, good for I you. Have no control over that. Um, it felt like I should have been able to, but like the it just it's just even more of perfect absolute timing because I mm. I was kind of I had a hard time with how things went down for a long time and getting used to like being unattached and then um, really aligning with the tracksmith uh, amateur support program just personally and like supporting the people in that program and all that stuff. Like I was in the perfect scenario and it just made it so much easier to acknowledge what the past would have meant and keep moving forward. Cause like I, I did that and I didn't take advantage or I didn't, the stars didn't align back then and now they're aligning, but I don't have like that structure and that's totally okay because that had to happen to get me here. Um, so it was just really interesting, but like, I can't remember when I first thought about it, but I was like, oh, <laughs> all right. Um, it's crazy to me though. I noticed you were in a track tracksmith singlet in one of your pictures and I was like, and I'm thinking it's crazy to me that you were in an, it's called the amateur program and you're a four-time Olympian. Well, they, um, define, they define amateur. Amateur is defined as for the love of. So it's like a reframe kind of uh-huh. like. You can look at it as like, you're just doing it for the love of it. <laughs> or you can understand that like the the love of the sport is really what like gets you the results that you're looking for. And that's always been true for me. Um, plus, I had this full-time support from Parity. Uh, in 2021, I actually wore a Parity logo on my uniform. So they were like my sponsor and my employer. Love it. Um, and Tracksmith was great about that too, because I had the New York Athletic Club patch and then I had a parody patch over the Tracksmith hair actually. And they just like let the stripe represent Tracksmith. Um, that wasn't allowed at trials because of uniform guidelines and stuff, mm-hmm. but yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in 2022, Parody was no longer a sponsor, but still my full-time employer. So, um, that was kind of an experimental, like young company, like, do we sponsor athletes? Do we not? Like, it was great for me for one season, but then like, we just folded, like reworked the numbers or whatever. Um, but yeah, amateur at first I was like, I don't, I don't love like even calling the, the immediate post-collegiates that like, I want people to understand that like the ability to earn money is what professionalizes you. Yeah. And, like, you have control over what that means or, like, you you can <laughs> if you, like, work really hard in other areas than just performance as well these days. Like, if you're willing to do the work to advertise stuff on social media, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I also agree with the base level for the love of idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there's so much sticky stuff there with sponsorships. And mm-hmm. um, I can only imagine and – maybe I'm wrong that past sponsors are thinking "Eh, we should have picked her up for another year. (laughs) And maybe they are, and maybe they aren't. Right. Cause, um, like a thing that maybe didn't want to have to pay out that 80 grand. (laughs) Maybe not. Yeah. Um, and I like something that a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people, but some people said after 2022 was like, Oh, you could get so much money like moving forward. Nobody called me. And that's fine. Like, like no, no giant corporation was like, oh, if you don't retire, we will pay you X dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what that number would have been to me. Like, what would have, you know, meant that I could come back and, like, 
potentially change the outcome of the end of my career for myself. Like I, I really think that I'm good, no matter what that number is. But there's a number for everybody, right? So if those right. phone calls had happened, I would have entertained them. Um, but they just didn't. And that's the reality of javelin mm. and niche sport. And I would like that to change for other people. But like, it's, it's just the javelin. It's just this thing that I love that was so important to me for so long. Um, but I fully recognize the tiny market that it belongs to. Mm. And I that's fully hard. understand that like, it matters to me and the people that are closest to me, but the the questions about like, you can't retire or why would you retire? Like, even when I PR'd in Brussels um, and hadn't for 12 years, like the announcers said, like, it's a PR for a winger. Like, so simple. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, 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 no. That's, that's a lot more than a PR. Like, it's not like a PR from last season. <laughs> it was absolutely mind-blowing that that happened 12 years later at 36 after two ACL surgeries and like I will tell that story until the day I die like I cannot believe that I did that and I'm so proud Mm. and like people don't they haven't they don't have that perspective and that's totally 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 okay like I'm proud of it I know that the people closest to me care and like you and the track community like very small understands and accepts me and I am so glad to have taken part but I have no qualms that like that should mean something else like from a company Mm. that should mean money because it it didn't when I did it so why would it be different moving forward um and I want that for other people but I also like couldn't have done what I did in 2022 if that was like my main objective that's right yeah, if that was your like sole purpose. And yeah, that's such a good point. Um, well, I love what you're doing at Parity because it's obviously like a big passion and you're able to combine, you know, the things that you care most about. Thanks. Yeah. We're working hard. All that's every, so awesome. every day. Yeah. Thanks. And and giving voice to the niche sports because I'm kind of like we all talk about basketball and soccer and and whatever, whatever the races are that are the most exciting to watch or whatever it is. And it's like, I think it's time to give give more attention to these more niche sports. It's just how do we go about doing that? Yeah, I am totally with you. And again, that, like that's my absolute why at Parity is if I'm in a sales meeting and I like hear them talking about like one aspect of the new supplement that they're coming out with, and that's not the only companies that we work with, right? Like we have something for everybody. Um, but if I'm hearing that like there is just something about the type of person that they're looking for that I know exactly who in the parody community would be perfect for it. It's so fun for me to like say the name of a woman athlete to this brand for the first time that they will ever have heard her name. Uh, uh-huh. And like, it's somewhat infuriating because then they follow up with like, why haven't I ever heard about her? Right. Because the narratives are set, right? And we need to like, this is your opportunity to like make her name household. Um, and please grab it by the horns. Like I can help you do that. And it's just, it's really fun to be in a position where I do get to like give shine to the people that I've been fans of for so long. That's so good. Okay. What's, uh, who's someone fun, motivating or inspiring you'd like to have coffee to your cocktail with? Mm. I 
have been thinking about my grandma a lot lately. This is a super cheesy answer, but uh, I'm going to, like, get my childhood piano back. And I have this picture of her and I, like, playing this piano. Um, And she was just, she was so fun. She was so witty. Uh, I have these memories of, like, us figuring stuff out together. And in this moment of my life that I'm, like, what do I do next? Like, how do I try new stuff? Like, how do I put my foot in the door? those memories are like really bubbling up. Like she was so good at that, even in her, you know, quote unquote, small life in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Like she just like Mm. made the cookies and took them to the bake sale. And she helped me figure out like where my cruise control was in my car when I first drove from Purdue Lake to her house in Iowa and um, just figuring stuff out. So I would love to have a mid thirties conversation with my grandma and we would have, we would have tea. Sure. <laughs> um, I just made an Instagram post last night about my grandma, so that's super sweet that you brought oh. up your grandma. <laughs> I had this um woman I coach and running send me this mug with sunflowers on it, like as a thank you from Boston, and it happened to arrive like right after my surgery um, that I had preventatively because my grandma died of ovarian cancer, and I opened this package and I see the mug. And it's got sunflowers all over it. And I'm like, this is so my grandma. Because she she had sunflowers painted on her back um, shed. She had a sweatshirt that she always wore with sunflowers on it. And she loved her like gar- front yard garden. And I was like, oh my gosh, this this mug. So every time I drink out of it, I'm like with Grandma Carol. And um, so when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a, <laughs> you know, like, I feel like together moment. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just like, we were driving home from camping and I was telling Russ that story about uh, oh. figuring stuff out with my grandma. We were like in DC and had to use uh-huh. a computer and it was like, I'm th- I'm in fifth grade, but we're like over conspiring like against this computer and um, yeah, where we come from in those like maternal lines. I just, I really, really love like the strength of all that. So I wish I could oh. talk to her one more time. Yeah. Love that answer. Uh, what is your last message to leave with the audience? I think my message is that there's more than one way to succeed with my knee injuries as an athlete. Like I changed how I threw pretty significantly over a long period of time. And, um, I had to, or I would have not gotten back. Uh, and especially after my second surgery, like I said, I just, I did not believe what people said when they were like, you're going to be better than ever. But because I was like willing to find a new way to do something that I loved and still be a part of it, um, I did. I did come back better. And I think that's the other part of what people like might not ever understand that's totally, totally okay. Like I know how different it felt each season of my career to throw far and I had to adapt or I would have been left behind. Um, and I think that's what I need to personally like meditate on a little bit, knowing that I can do things in different ways and enjoy them like in the rest of life. But that's what I want to tell people. Like, even if you think that something is over and ruined, <laughs> there's a way to salvage it. Uh, you just have to be creative in how you approach stuff. Thank you, Kara. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Kara, for coming on the podcast. I loved getting to know you. 
Uh, friends, you can find Kara on social media. She's a fun follow. She is Kara Throws Jav over there. I am Lindsay Hine 626. You can find Sandy Boy Productions on Instagram, Sandy Boy Productions, and learn about everything we're doing with the podcast network at sandyboyproductions.com. I also have a personal website, lindsayhine.com. That's where all my training plans are, stuff I recommend, links to sponsor codes, all of that. There's a uh, Lindsay's Deals tab where you can find all the links to the sponsor discounts um, on my website, lindsayhine.com. And then um, if you want to subscribe to our show notes, that would deliver the show notes to your inbox every week. Just go to sandyboyproductions.com and click on I'll Have Another. You can opt in to subscribe there. Uh, Friends, thanks for being here. I just hope you are having the very best summer. And uh, we will see you next week on I'll Have Another.